in fact, I had a theory that everything was a selfish motivation. Anytime you did something for, for charity, it was because you felt good. You know, you give money, you do something for someone, whatever. You always have a motivation that's for yourself that just evaporated. I, and not to say that I'm not selfish at times. That's I'm sure I am. But I didn't believe that anymore. <laughs> I believe that God gave us a heart to love him and to love each other. And from that, we experience joy. The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Well, welcome everybody to the podcast. It is so good to be here. And again, thanks for your support. Those of you who support us. Uh, my name is Matt Hook and I am the shepherd. And I'm Marty Fletcher and I am the shrink. And we have an awesome guest with us who is also a friend who is one of the people I respect so much in my life because of not just his position or his skills and gifts, but because of his heart. And his name is Mark Sutter. Mark, welcome. Thanks, guys. I'm a fan and I'm humbled to be able to be on with you guys. It is so good to have you here. And for those of you who are just tuning in, Mark Sutter is recently retired as a CEO of Terumo Corporation here in Washtenaw County. And tell us a little bit about Terumo itself. Yeah, Terumo is a one of the largest medical device companies in the world. And one of the companies is a cardiovascular company that uh, makes products for open heart surgery. And we're headquartered right here in Ann Arbor, approximately a half a billion dollar business and thousands of uh, employees around the world. And I got the privilege of, of running that for 17 years until I recently retired and great company, great products for an important cause of heart disease. How vital, how cool to get to be a part of something like that. Yeah, it was. You're supposed to say no pun intended, Matt, because you said how vital. How vital. Yeah, yeah. Put some heart into it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not known as our, for our comedy here. But funny things happen on our program. And we're so thankful. To us. And to us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thanks for your connection. I know you're a supporter, Mark, and that's um, really cool. So just appreciate that and helping us get the word out. I was laughing when you said, yeah, they're about a half a billion dollar company. And I thought, when you were young, would you have ever pictured yourself saying that? Right. That's no. just a lot of zeros. Well, and the, the, the zeros are one thing. It's being responsible for thousands of people. That's their jobs. And the way I always viewed it was if we had 2,000 pe people that indirectly re you know, reported to me directly, but through other managers and so on, that's not just the 2,000 people, but it's the 2,000 families. And so, mm. you know, how they come home every day and how they're motivated is, is something I took to heart as an important part of my responsibility. That and the fact that every day we had a, 
saying every day, in fact, our goal was 2000 um, heart surgeries were done using our products every single day of the year. And so we tracked that we had a lot of patients come in and speak to us surgeons come in because that made a world of difference to our employees just to remember how vital it is of what they do. Wow. Boy, there's a life lesson right there, huh, Marty? Yeah. Like the reminder of why we do what we do. Yeah. Meaningful work. Because what, yeah. what we're dealing with partially in this podcast is to help people discover the meaning that seems to be missing in so many people's life and work, like Freud said, work and love, right? Those are the two things that to make life worth living. So I'd say meaningful work because uh, a lot of work stinks mm. <laughs> or attitude stink and the work isn't as bad or it's a mix. Right. So that meaningful work and that's, that's fairly important to us. doesn't have to be a job either. We're talking about meaningful work. Right. What you do. Yeah. Mark's busier now mm-hmm. than he was in the years before he retired with that's the, what I was the things at. he's leading. Yeah. yeah. Retirement is, I mean, I was blessed to be able to be retired, move on and pass my work on to someone else. But in this side of that job, there's so much more to be done. And I just, oh my gosh. It's, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity and being plugged in so many things in the community and in the church, especially has been just wonderful. I want to talk about leadership, but from where you are right now, how was it difficult after you retired and, and the position and figuring out what to do next? How much of a struggle was that for you? Or was it not a struggle? I don't think it was a struggle. I think God prepared it for me. Um, my wife has MS and I knew that I wanted to be there for her while she was able. And I had been shown a few books, one called uh, Halftime by Bob Buford and uh, several other ones that I just started pouring into in the years before retirement. And it talked about, you know, it's retirement isn't considered the end of the story. It's he, he called it halftime. And what are you going to do afterwards? And how are you going to do it intentionally? And and so I, I went into it years in advance planning for it and knowing that it was going to be an impactful and important part of my life, not, not just a coast part of my life. And so it wasn't uh, hard and, and it's fantastic. Not just an important part of your life, but because of how you pour in an important part of a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So you went from being retired. Now you're just tired. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I sleep well, I'm able to exercise. And so I no, I'm not too tired. I, I get energized every morning. I definitely even when I worked, you know, we went through stressful times, but I loved the people that I worked for. And I loved what I did. And so I rarely got up ready in the day. And I certainly I don't know, I, mm-hmm. I'm not tired. And I'm, um, I look forward to every day. Wow. People are going to hate you when they hear that. I know. I can you edit that out? Yeah. <laughs> it's too no optimistic, but I just feel like such a blessed person. You are though. You're the real deal. I've been around you enough to know that this is authentic and it's a it's a beautiful thing. So how how do we get there? That's so important. I mean, it's a big question. I know, but like your attitude is the attitude that you know most of us want. Well, for me, I worked for about 35 years, and half of it. I turned a Christ follower in 1999. I remember it in October, 1999. And my career and my life before that maybe was tired and was challenging because I, I was in leadership roles before that date. But I, I don't know. I faced it alone. Wow. Um, literally the next day after uh, that date in October, 
I had Christ with me and I took him everywhere. So I've never beforehand, I never thought of taking my faith because I had a belief or an understanding of who Jesus was, but it wasn't personal. But after that date, it just, he went everywhere and he's the creator and designer of everything. So he's got a pretty good idea of how things work. So, okay, Mark. So you, you like going too fast. No, you're doing awesome. I just, I want to land on this because I think it's really important and people are interested in this. So you had that, you had a moment. Some people don't have a moment like, like Matt just sort of, that was him. It was in his DNA or something. A lot of little moments. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Every morning is a moment, (laughs) but, but you had a pivotal moment and I can relate to that, but would you mind describing that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was getting my MBA at Michigan while working into my career and a couple of nights a week, I would go and I'd get done with work. I'd stop at Berry Bagels, get something to eat. And I'd go sit in the parking lot at U of M waiting for my class to start. Something had led up to it. Um, a number of things that would probably take too long to go into, but I was listening to the Bible answer man, Hank Hanegraaff. Mm-hmm. And he said, a woman called in and said, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And he said, well, let me, let's talk about that. And and I have a sense that there's others out there that are in the same position. And so he just talked very frankly about it and said, you know, invited the truth in. He used scripture and said, if right now, if you feel like God's calling you, give yourself over to him and and pray with me. And I, I did. And I literally in that moment, it was electric energy. I mean, I felt just empowered. I I cried and I laughed and I knew, I mean, it was so vitally different. And then I went to class and it was hard to sit through it. And I drove home that night. I'm like, this is just literally crazy. I don't understand. Oh, you know, this is so clear. I mean, for me, it was that clearness. It was what, you know, God needed for me and it changed everything. So because it was just uh, life changing, it was such an evident experience that I had that I think back to it all the time, but there are a number of things that led up to it. And that I would say two years prior to it, but it, that was a culminating moment, but there were a number of God moments that he put in place for sure. Yeah. Leading up to that for the couple of years leading up to it, because there's people listening who are interested and they're intrigued with spirituality. They're intrigued with psychology and how the two mix. My question is, difference between spirituality in general, which to me means connectedness. I feel spiritual around you. There's a connection. That's what it is. I look at the stars outside. There's a connection. I feel like I'm a small piece of this amazing, vast universe or something like that. That to me is connectedness. It's spirituality. But you're talking about something more specific of Christian spirituality. And I know you said it's a long story, but can you share in general a couple of those moments or a couple of those, I don't know, practices is the right word or where your eyes got opened to there's something more going on here. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, at the front end of that, I noticed my younger brother, you know, at holidays, he would be, he'd always want to pray. He'd say, hey, let me pray for us. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a rote prayer. It was from the heart. And I'm like, man, this, you know, and he, I talked to him a little bit about it and he told me the very specific thing about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, versus just, yeah, I know who Jesus is, you know, mm-hmm. celebrating him at Christmas. And so it intrigued me. And then my older brother, and we've got four boys in the family. We're all a little competitive. He started reading through the Bible and I'm like, well, I, if you can read through the Bible, I'll read through the Bible. 
and I start reading through the Bible. And when I hit the New Testament, man, that is like things started churning. That happened in the not long after seeing my brother Scott come to faith. And then there was a, a trip to California and I was work with stress. Things at home weren't great. And a guy next to me said, he just started talking to me and he said, how are you doing? And for some reason, I, I said, you know, not, not great. And I opened up to him a little bit and we talked the whole flight there, you know, four and a half, five hours. And he talked about, do you know who Jesus is? He had the bravery, the courage to talk about Jesus and how I can know him personally and who he is and, and what he can offer. And um, I'm like, wow, that is wild. And I listened to him the whole time, but it stuck with me. I didn't, nothing happened that day. And probably uh, six months later, I was in that parking lot at Michigan. And so, and a number of little things like that were popping up. I started listening to Christian radio. That's how I picked up Hank Kendergraph. And so, yeah, it was a lot of little leading, a lot of people yeah. leading me there to that moment. And then that moment wasn't anybody in besides somebody on the radio. <laughs> yeah, let's underscore that because it is a process, a developmental process, I think. At least that's the way I, it was for me and the way I'm hearing it described, okay? Mm -hmm. And which means this, if you want to do this and you want to sit in your car and you want to do that prayer, don't expect magic in that moment. Just, just like our body changes through time and with certain practices, that's how spiritual development occurs, I think. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, there's a theological word for that. Tell and we are always constantly receiving God's grace. You could say God's spirit is coming at us. He doesn't enter us without our permission, which is kind of that turning or receiving him. When you hear any Christ followers talk about receiving Christ, it's like literally there's an internalization that happens. But the grace is the same grace. We describe it differently based on our stance and where we are. So before I have any interest, God's grace is coming to me. Otherwise, how could I ever come to that moment? And that's called prevenient grace, grace that goes before. And it woos us into being curious about my brother, into being wondering why my grandma, who's been through so much, is okay with things. It, it woos us into, wow, that guy on the plane said something, some really interesting things, and it felt weird, but something's there. And so prevenient grace leads us to this moment of conviction or convicting grace would be another way to call it when we are coming to a moment of decision. And sometimes we walk away from it and come back to it later. And that leads to what we would call justifying grace, which is where, you know, like on a Word document, you can write justify or left justify your paragraphs. So to be justified it means to be lined up with, you know, we talk about justice and are you lined up with the common good? Are you lined up with God in this case? And the only way we are from a Christian worldview would be to say, it's nothing we could do on our own. We are too far gone, too lost, as good as we are, as successful as we might be. We know that we are not lined up with God. And that's what's justifying grace. And that leads to a third kind that we don't talk about much that I'm being pretty convicted of. And I need to work on this. And it's what's called sanctifying. Yes. Grace. These are all crazy words, but Marty loves to talk about spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. And some of those are ways that we cultivate this sanctifying grace, which sanctity of life, the sanctuary, it's set apart, it's made for holiness. It's awakening other parts of our lives, you know, that we become aware of that we want to offer to God. So that is 
generally describes all of our stories, whether or not we grew up with a, a real sense of who Jesus was and us giving our lives to him, or it happens sometime later in our lives. That's a really important stuff that you just delivered there, Matt, because um, I, I think also we should talk about what, what grace is. And I, I did hear a priest say, help me understand. I, I experienced it. Like the song, Amazing Grace, that really mm. is a good song, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that is the experience of oh grace. So it doesn't have to be an extra abstract notion that, okay, I got some unmerited favor, which is true, right? But it doesn't tell me about the experience. The, the experience is God at work. You seemed, correct me if I'm off base here, but you seem to experience God in that moment, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was an experience of him. That means it, it was a felt lived experience. Oh, there's no, I don't care how much, uh, how well versed you are in a say atheist view. You can't change that moment. Yes. You can't change the recollection of the people feeding into that. Then the words this Matt just described that, you know, that led to that moment, but that moment was for sure a God interaction. And, and I've seen him, I've seen them since in other people that I recognize, you know, and that's one of the things I love. I love seeing God work in other people. And I'm like, that's God. Yes. I can tell that's God. Yeah, that's the same I, I God. I recognize. Uh, and also <laughs> right. I like the way you, cause you, you describe it. Uh, one thing is a moment of clarity. Oh yeah. And I think about yeah. what clarity means. Say, say more about that. Oh my gosh. The clarity of what's important clarity it just felt like clarity, but then in the time going forward, it just, you know, clarified how I should, you know, interact with my wife a little bit differently. I didn't, everything didn't occur, you know, change overnight and my life is not perfect by any means, but it just, I got more clarity in terms of how I should interact with the world. And I felt confident about bringing God into the workplace. I had no qualms about it. I mean, and if anyone did, it didn't matter to me. And, you know, this idea that everyone will be persecuted for talking about, you know, Jesus in the workplace never occurred. Could be that it was boss, but it also was that I think it's a bigger hurdle than is reality. I think it, people get afraid of it. And I found people embraced it. You know, when I was in through difficult times, people's during difficult times, sometimes I would just have a silent prayer and people knew and I turned my head down and was praying, they knew. And, and I think that gave them some peace as well, whether they were followers or not. And then the more confidence I got in that, I felt comfortable praying for new employees. We had, unfortunately, to, to have some people go at a few times. And I would bring a few fellow, fellow believers that are in leadership, and we would pray for them ahead of yeah. telling them about it. We didn't you want to just, you know, treat them well in their package that they got. We wanted to pray for them and we wanted, you know, God to intervene where we could as well. So it just became clear that you bring them along. Don't mean to say that in any lesser way, but because he's there in a big way. So Mark, did you get some clarity about who you are or what you are? Does that, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I believed that I was a child of God. I believed for the first time that God had created me for a reason and not always understanding what that is, but I just believed he, I was his versus before that, you know, I, in fact, I had a theory that, that I used to tell people that everything was a selfish motivation. 
Anytime you did something for, for charity, it was because you felt good. Anytime, anytime you do, you know, you give money, you do something for someone, you, whatever, you always have a motivation that's for yourself. And that, that just evaporated. I, and not to say that I'm not selfish at times. That's, I'm sure I am, but I don't, I didn't believe that anymore. <laughs> I believe that God gave us a heart to love him and to love each other. And from that, we experience joy. Not that the motivation is to do these things to experience it. You just, he, he made us to love him and um, to love others. And, and then you get a great amount of joy from that. No, mm -hmm. no better joy. Marty, is there a psychological term for what Mark is talking about? Um, wow. There are different models. Like if you look into transpersonal psychology and, and all of those things, and you can take a look at those, but uh, what we'd say is a uh, spiritual emergence models like that. That's some of the language that's being used for spiritual transformation. We're just kind of catching up with this stuff because we kind of eschewed the, you know, spiritual, and then we realize how important it is and how much people need it. And they're asking for, it. we did a show on that. Remember Matt? you know, just on, on how that's coming into the medical system. And, and I'm talking about allopathic doctors, right. You know, who are work on your body surgeons and, and all that stuff. So, you know, there, there's a variety of models, but I just tend to think that things are hierarchical and the Bible, if we read it with the lenses that are such that we're looking for, what is the psychology that Christ taught us that is in there, right? It's, we, it's, it's, so it's already in there. And that's we wouldn't why, be here if it weren't. Right. So, uh, you know, I'd say looking at phenomenologically, like that's what I'm getting into, you know, what we're getting into with Mark is like, what is the experience of that? Like, I'm curious about what did it feel like mm. in that moment? Because people are going to want to know that because that's, oh that's, that's big information. What does it feel like? And why was it so different than other things you've felt before? Because I, that was a singular experience. Ugh. Isn't that true that you can't compare it to anything else? Uh, nothing, nothing that I yes. ever had before or ever had since. Mm -hmm. And now and then I just like now I'm imagining it to try and describe it. And, and it just, you know, it almost brings chills again because I, I don't know. I just, it felt, I mean, I felt tingly all over. I felt just, just joy. You're going to make me get emotional now, but it just, yeah. And I wanted to tell everybody about it too. I mean, I went from, never talking about it to I started a Bible study in our, our workplace and I would order pizza to attract a lot of people. And, and on, I told my dad about Jesus and my dad's an old timer. And he's like, I know, I know, I know who Jesus is. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm like, I just want to make sure dad, you know, <laughs> was it awe too? was awe? Cause you said yeah. I got chills and that's what happens. You know, there, there's erection, like your hair stands on end when, when we're in awe, was there a bit of that mixed with the joy? Yeah, all. And, you know, the thing I was surprised about is there wasn't as much mourning for my sinfulness. I, I prayed and I knew I was a sinful person. And I sincerely asked for forgiveness at, at that moment, at that time. But once I did, it wasn't, I almost imagined that it would be, I don't know how I imagined it, but that it would be just this observation of all this sin but it wasn't what what was your attitude because because I, I can relate to that what was your attitude because you knew it was there but i don't hear condemnation what was it no no i it was just gone yeah yeah and i continue to sin hopefully yeah. less yeah. but and i you know i know it's forgiven but 
I do, I felt like in the moment it was, yeah, was instantly forgiven. And I was just so received and cherished, but uh, was the biggest part of the feeling. And this physical feeling that I felt like electricity or felt like tingling was there. I, I don't know, have the right words to explain it. No yeah. one does. That's why yeah. I like talking about it. We can get <laughs> close, but you can't capture it because we don't really have a frame Gosh. of reference for it because it's so different. It's like, we don't own it. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I don't own my salvation. I mm. it's, it is me. It's the truest version of me, but I don't own it. It's my story. I like that. Perfect. It's more like it owns me now with no sense of letting, you know, losing complete control. It's this, I, the Hebrew word is shalom. (laughs) It means centeredness. It means peace. It means completeness. You know, a lot of people think, oh, that's just a greeting, you know, like a Middle East kind of greeting, Um, shalom. But what, what it is, is it is a blessing of wanting that it, shalom doesn't just mean peace, like doing nothing sitting on your butt. It's, but it's a sense of completeness and centeredness and, and groundedness that leads to this peace and this hope that yeah. we have. One other thing that you said, Mark, that hit me is you said, yes, the sin was a reality, but Jesus wasn't shoving my face in it in that moment. No. Romans 8, chapter 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, one of the best chapters in the Bible ever. If you're curious about this whole thing, check out Romans chapter 8. You won't understand all of it, but there's some powerful stuff in there. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if it, uh, you went where I wanted to go, Matt. Um, I wonder if it's just a a feeling of self-compassion, because that's what I experienced it as. So I knew the sin. I did feel truly sorry for it, but I gave myself a break in that. I just couldn't do it. Mm. Couldn't do it by myself. So why, why condemn? So the self-compassion of, Hey, you know, you've, you've suffered enough is the way I felt, you know, I've already suffered enough. I am sorry for not, but I just didn't know better. I was ignorant. Mm-hmm. That makes complete sense. And the idea in Christianity is that Christ came and suffered for your sin. Saying there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus doesn't mean there's no sin in the world and that it doesn't matter, but it means that in him, the condemnation exists in the sin itself, but he has come to rescue us from that, to lead us into this new paradigm, this new way of being, this new relationship with the world and with ourselves and with our spouses and with God and with our work. Right now, I didn't know, you know, scripturally at that moment, like, okay, now I'm just going to take him into the workplace and take him into the rest of my life. I just did because it felt like that's what authentic it was going to do. And, but at times I have wondered, you know, is it okay biblically? Or I did wonder at times, some people said, oh, you, you know, maybe you're not supposed to do that in workplace and this and that. What does the Bible say about taking you know, Christ into work? Is that, do you have any viewpoints of that? Well, a lot of Jesus parables, he talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell. And Adam worked in the garden in the beginning of all things before sin entered the world. So work is a part of our DNA. And Jesus at the same time also says, 
you've got this treasure. Don't cast your pearls before swine. In other words, don't take these amazing things and throw them at people who aren't ready to do anything but trample on them. And punish you. Because that's the next line, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll come and punish you. Yeah. And so there is, there is a sense of discernment. There is a sense of, of wisdom that we don't just go throw up all over people. Let me tell you about, because it's not about us, you know. And that was going to be one of my follow-up questions too, was it was just the natural response. Why would you leave it behind? Why would I leave my relationship with God through Christ behind when I'm at work? Why would I leave it behind when I go home? Even if my spouse is not a believer, why would I leave it behind when I go to the gym or when I go online or when I go out with, with the guys or to a Michigan game or whatever? Why would I choose to forget it? And it doesn't mean you go around with praying hands everywhere. Yeah. Or how could I I'd even say, because like, look, yeah. if you really believe if somebody really believed that they had something that could just change my life for the better, I mean, they would almost have to talk about it. You know what I mean? But you have to be somewhat careful or clever or expedient, I guess. Right. Right. You the know, receptivity because- of the person is, is a factor because they're a person. They're not just a object you throw stuff at. Yeah. And also they've been lied to and misled before, of course, um, deceived. Um, The best thing, your life is your message. If they see Mm -hmm. Christ in you, they're going to see more than any sentence that you could repeat or formulate for them. So that's the sort of the beginning, I think. And I'm a very godly man. I I didn't know you pre-Christianity, but. Yeah, I wasn't off the charts, but I I just didn't (laughs) rely on him or anything. There were some things that I would say are off the charts, but I, you know, in, in that, that point of persecution or, or whatever else, I had a few questions, you know, that came from a board member or something like that asking about, now, are you, did you start a Bible study? I'm like, yeah. Are there some issues with it? No, I'm, we're just wondering, you know, so it, it never ramped up from there. So it, I almost took it as, yeah, we observed that you're doing this, but it wasn't necessarily a warning shot. So, <laughs> yeah, which I know has happened in some companies where a Bible study was started by uh, the president or CEO or whatever it might be, or somebody higher up, and there's pressure on those underneath to attend. Uh, right, right. Right. And if I don't attend it, will that somehow jeopardize my position in the company or my being considered for the next hire or raise or position kind of a thing? And that's that's the argument I've heard thrown at it from a friend who went through that, sadly, you yeah. know. Can we ask him, though, because some people might want to do this, uh, you know, start one. How did you get that to develop? How did you I, won't, I don't know if I say recruit or how did you um yeah, the first, I don't know how I found the first couple guys, but our company was on Jackson Road, not far from Meyer. And at the time, Meyer had a cafeteria. And I was, I guess, tentative enough to say, you know what? Um, I found a couple of guys that I thought might want to do it. So I asked them and I said, let's meet at Meyer in the Meyer cafeteria. So we met there for a little while. It got a little bit of word of mouth. So we grew to maybe 10 guys or 10 people or so. It was definitely co ed. And, um, we moved to a covenant church. I, I called the office there and said, Hey, can we rent your office one day a week at lunch? And they said, yeah, you can use it for that. And so we met there, they were right across from Panera. And then we decided, you know what, let's bring it in house. And it just kept growing. And there's been times where there would be 
15 or so people. And it, you know, varied from time to time. I'm happy to say I didn't, I didn't lead it all the time. I led it for the first few years. I attended it every time I was in, in the office during those years. I left in 2017. Bill Hansen, someone from you guys would know, has continued it. So it's gone on for 21 years with some one person or another leading it. And there's a number of stories that come out of that alone. And people, no one's been offended by it. And we have, when I was working there, we had people from all nationalities working and it, you know, there was no offense taken to it that I ever saw. Mm -hmm. Well done. Here's a question that I have. Some people listening may wonder, and they may have friends who wonder, how can, with the tough decisions that you have to make as a manager of people, as a leader of people, as CEO, how can you take Christian values or how can you lead people or make hard calls and have this Christ-centered, religious, some people would say, attitude or mindset? You know, isn't it kind of cutthroat when you get to a certain level in business? Doug? To talk about it maybe from a couple angles. One, if the business isn't profitable, then everyone will lose their job, literally. If the business isn't profitable enough to invest in better products, then the field won't advance. And so it's not cutthroat to make profit. You, If you don't, you won't exist. Everyone won't have jobs. And the products that are essential, say in medical devices, won't be available. So that upfront is a need to be profitable. You can't lose money. Secondly, there's benefit to bringing it in. And we had to close a plant. We had a plant in Mexico at one point um, and we had to close it. And there was about 150 people that um, we're, we were gonna tell. And a Christian principal we brought up, a plant manager and myself and others put our heads together. And, and one of the head of HR, decided we're going to network with local companies in Matamoros ahead of time and identify where are the openings. And our goal was to make sure that within a month, every single one of those people were reemployed. And they were because we decided, we made the decision we were going to close plant, period. So that was a financial decision. And we, we felt we had the right place to put the, the products. But then how we do it is another step that, you know, perhaps a Christian perspective of really caring for them, seeing through the next step um, would come into play and it would be how we lived it out. So that would be an example is one, you do have to be profitable and you do have to make tough decisions that do affect, say, smaller groups of people that could benefit the overall. And secondly, when you do do it, you can still have do it in a caring way for the people that, for instance, are affected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it one of my favorite parables, some people call it uh, the parable of the talents in this Bible I've got in front of me. It's a massive one. Uh, Life application Bible came from the church rummage sale. This one's called Jesus tells the parable of the loaned money. Again, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, which is worth way more than $1,000. To another, he gave two talents of money. To another, one talent, each according to his ability. So they're not all the same. Then the man went on his journey. The servant who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. 
So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And get this, the master replied, this is Jesus, who said, love your enemy as yourself. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, at least I would have received it back with interest. And then he says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents for everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is not opposed to real world stuff. Every example that he uses to describe the kingdom of God is real world leadership decisions, how to manage money, how to take care of things, how to work, how to do things like that. Yeah. And to me, that message is for, as we become mature followers, to me that I, I hear that. And, and I hear him saying, Mark, take this seriously, what I've given you take this seriously. It's not for those that are not, they haven't found him yet that, you know, are struggling or whatever else. To me, it's, it's for those that he has given talents, you know, a certain number of talents to, and he says, don't be bearing them. That's not enough. I've blessed you in ways that come from me, not from you. And you need to be serious about the use of them. And so I know some people might think, wow, that's pretty harsh, but he's speaking to his followers who have chosen to be his followers. And, and yeah, they're saying, give me tough lessons. And he does. Again, I don't think it's for the person that's seeking and wow, I'm going to be thrown out. Well, <laughs> I don't know. That's my perspective. That's good. So do you feel after October, 1999, did leadership get easier or did it just get clearer? I'd say problems did not go away. <laughs> That's for sure. Problems entered into business and the world is the world. And suddenly all those things didn't go away. In fact, I would say, you know, at some points, bigger things occurred that had to deal with following that. It just, the way I would go about it would have completely changed. I, I would, again, be able to pray. I would be able to find peace. Doesn't mean I, I wouldn't fail at times, but because of the peace, I think I also got clarity as to how I was going to lead. And that helped where I would maybe follow too many other people and their leadership approaches. I eventually had to have confidence in the way I was going to lead as a 
Christ follower and as myself. You know, there's a thousand books you can read and every one of them has a little bit of a different direction. So um, eventually, I think the clarity helped me get comfortable with who I was and how I would lead. Mm-hmm. So can you describe your management philosophy? Yeah, I, I boiled it down to, and it was nice because I was a U of M grad. I got to go and speak to a couple of bioengineering. It's, I got a master's in bioengineering there in my MBA. And so both departments, I got to go back and talk to you a little bit and had developed my own view and I would present it to our staff. And I believed in, in a four, four point approach to leadership. Um, one, always keep moving forward. There's always an opportunity to, to get stumbled and, and to stop things. But number one, always keep moving forward Two, make good decisions. A lot of people don't make decisions, so they stay on, on the same spot. So first of all, make decisions, but over time, make good decisions, improve your batting average um, and how you do it. Third, think about the bigger picture and present to people in the workplace. In other words, there's a bigger picture going on within their job. It's not just the task you're doing. There's a bigger picture. And ultimately, if you can describe that, there's the grandest picture is that there's a plan from God that is going to be good. And so being over worried and being overly stressed and anxious, if you can ultimately know um, that God has a plan, but even short of that, just understanding, you know, what, what's the bigger picture even within the work. And the last one is be positive and engage. People go to work, they spend more time at work than anything else. If you as an individual and you want to develop as a leader can be positive and engage, people want to work with you. If you're moping around and the sky is always falling, then people will not want to work with you and you don't get as much productivity from people. So even from a selfish perspective, I guess one could say being positive and engaging with people helps it. So those four, keep things moving forward, make good decisions, understand the bigger picture and be positive and engage. I try to instill those four as much as I could. I think we need a second podcast. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah. And just literally take a look at those. You know what? I can say this too. Just That's true of my spiritual practice. Those are the things I want to practice in my spiritual practice, right? Those four points, they work um, outside of the workplace, don't they? Very cool. Wow. Thank you. Matt, you want to pray? I would love to. Lord God, I thank you so much for Mark Sutter. I thank you, Lord, for how you poured into him. I thank you for how he turned around and poured back out into other people. Um, Your message. I thank you so much for the leadership that he gives to the community, to the church, to friends, to family, to people in need. And I pray a great blessing on him that you would just continue to guide him, to remind him how much you love him, that he is just right, just as he is. And uh, I thank you so much for that. I thank you, God, that you are not done with any of us and that you are calling us to be leaders in our lives, over our schedules, over little things that you entrust to us so that you can give us bigger things. I thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to work in our own lives, that that is a part of how we were created in your image. Um, with creativity, with energy, with gifts and talents. And Lord, help us to lead wherever we find ourselves right now. And I thank you so much that you are our leader and that we're not inventing or making this stuff up, but we're simply reacting to how you have already acted in our lives. Thank you, God, for the call that you have 
on our lives that we're able to unpack with Mark and Marty today and ask that you would guide us as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like what you're hearing, join us at Patreon. You can talk to us personally there, get cool merchandise and exclusive video content and more. Just go to patreon.com and search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can get involved for as little as $1 a month. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.